0: Welcome to Syntalk. The Syntalkers around the table today discuss the turns technology takes. We'll think about technology, technological change, and when and why it is abrupt. How did acoustics of 19th century become electroacoustics of the 20th century? Is technology merely a study of technique? Is war the mother of all inventions? Is the latest always the best? What role does human skill play in shaping technology? And how is it shaped by technology itself? Is technology independent? Is actual use of technology always surprising? Is new always a new combination of the old? Do we need a Darwin of machines? What kind of changes lie ahead in the next 100 to 500 years? And what will not change? We are pleased and privileged to have three SYN Talkers with us here today. Professor Praveen Jha he is an economist and teaches at JNU New Delhi. Dr. Carlos Alberto Scolari he is a media researcher and is from Pompeu Fabra University in Barcelona. And Dr. Dolan Guche he teaches history of science and technology at IIT Madras. So, uh, Roland, why don't we set the ball rolling with you? Um, maybe by going to this distinction, difference, relationship uh, between the link between science and technology. What is it? Is technology an extension of science? Is it applied science? What exactly is the link? And,
1: uh, you're a historian, so how has that idea emerged and changed over the years? Yes, yes. I mean, I... Uh, usually when I teach uh, my engineers, for example, about technology and ask them, what is technology, a lot of times they would say, technology is applied science, right? right. And that has been a very strong idea, especially uh, after after the Second World War, things like uh, the Manhattan Project, but also other projects, which were kind of very science driven Uh, technology projects, and also if you look at uh, what has been described as techno-science today, where science and technology have been described as a kind of seamless web, where you you cannot uh, separate these kind of things. Uh, But if you look into the history of technology, obviously technology is as old as mankind.
0: Is it clear what
1: technology is? Uh, Technology is... Usually defined as a body of knowledge and skills, right? Towards uh, uh, the 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 manufacture and the use of artifacts, but also services. Uh, uh, how we organize our our lives. So it can be it can be related to artifacts, but doesn't have to be related to artifacts. So a lot of times people think of technology as things, right? But right. it's usually thought of as as knowledge and as skills, so right. how we organize our life, right and if you go through uh, through history of mankind, right, we have always been using artifacts, we've always been using tools, even in Stone age, and obviously, there wasn't anything you can call science.
0: But are these then. artifacts necessarily physical? Are they physical objects? No, or it doesn't need.
1: Somewhat... Yeah, it doesn't need to be a physical object, right? Like if you think about technique, even the way how we use technology, uh, from coming from German-speaking world, would say it's actually a wrong use because technology should actually be the study of technique. Technique. Yes. Which
0: is which is where the link with skills come in, right? So
1: uh, yes, yes, the link with skills, and if you look through history. Uh, uh, technology has been much more related to arts and craft, right? Historically, mm. technology has been much more related to arts and craft, to the artisan. And even if you go back uh, in, let's say, in the European historiography, if you go to the Greeks, right, like where you would have the idea that mechanics is actually something where you force nature to do something. So it's artificial, so it's art, so it's actually not science, right? Right. So there you actually have an idea. Technology but, but, is actually but not Roland, science. is
0: that, sorry, is that simply because arts and crafts happen to come before the somewhat more formal, structured
1: body of knowledge called science? Is, oh, is I it, wouldn't is it say more so. a question of sequence rather than... Yes, obviously there is some kind of historical development, but there is still, if you would uh, follow David Edgerton's, for example, The Shock of the Old, You mm-hmm. would say we have a lot of technologies that are very old. If you think about ceramics, pottery, we still have that around, right? right. We still have hammers. And they're usually not, and that centuries and millennia old. I mean, methods, the techniques. Yes, the techniques are millennia old, and they're still around with us. If you look on, for example, Indian construction sites, you will see a lot of people using very ancient technology, right? Mm. Not using necessarily new technology, and these people are not trained by science. They are not guided by science, right? So it's much more a a a different uh, practice. A different knowledge, right? Also where you wouldn't have the same kind of separation between which you have in the idea of science that you have this kind of abstraction and the idea that you can separate theory from practice, for example, right. whereas it's in arts and craft, it comes together. So uh, so historically, you can say in a lot of societies, uh, it actually has been separate uh, bodies of knowledge.
0: It, do, you, do you find this surprising, Carlos? Because at least today, as we think of things, Somehow the phrase uh, new technology sounds like an oxymoron. You would just associate technology with something which is new and latest by definition. Uh, and I think what, what uh, Roland has just mentioned is kind of counterintuitive, at least at a laymanish level, that you know there's something that doesn't change for...
2: Yeah, a, I I, I agree with this conception of, of technology. I was thinking that the etymology the, the, the of technology is technē. In Greek it means art, mm. so this, this was practically the same. Now we separated after many years technology from art, but in the beginning was the same conception. But
0: where does this newness come from? What leads to? We're talking of the turn. Uh, what leads, Is it just a recombination of the same old things? I think or? this
2: connection between the the new thing and technology is is is. is practically something that's coming with the capitalism and the last year with acceleration of capitalism. Mm. Because we can imagine 10,000 years ago, this idea of newness that didn't exist. The times... Even the
0: used, idea of newness.
2: Yeah, the times were used to, to, to circulate a very slow velocity. And now we know that the companies are trying every, every week to present something new because if not, they have financial problems. They had to show this high velocity in innovation. The planify obsolescence also is part of the dynamics of the, the economy. So um, I think this is this is a f- part of the modernity, you know, uh, this idea of uh, acceleration and, and new technologies.
0: Why? Why so? I mean, wh- why? I mean, is it is it impossible to conceive of capitalism as slower? I mean, is acceleration a part of uh, capitalism,
2: and why so? Well, there, there are movements, like in Gastronomy, slow food movement, but then now they are talking about the slow cities. That They are proposing some kind of ralenti to stop a little bit this acceleration. On the other side, we have groups Anti-capitalist, that they propose acceleration. Also, they say we can't stop this machine, so we also should work on the contradiction of deceleration. So it's it's a it's a it's a um, conversation discussion that comes from the origins of capitalism. Because if you see nineteenth century, the Romantics, they were trying to stop. They were thinking in going back to this paradise, uh, original society without machines. So this is part, I think, of the modernity and of capitalism, this idea of speed and how to stop it. But do you
0: think of, uh, you know, when we, when we think of either starting or stopping something, we give it a somewhat independent existence. Is, is technology more or less autonomous and independent? I mean, how, 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 I know there's no one technology, there are different kinds of things,
2: but how does one think of that? That's another discussion about the, the determinism. Is technology ruling the world or we can rule technology? There are many positions about that. For example, Marsha McLuhan in Media Studies, he was considered a determinist. Mm. Um, I know people that was not determinist, and in the last year they moved to this position. For example, Kevin Kelly, the founder of um, Wire Magazine in the, the last books, he, he considers that technology is, is a new energy, is a new vector in in, in the, our world that's ruling the world, and we have to learn how to come to to live with this energy and these rules coming from technology.
0: How do you think of this, Praveen? Is is technology, and as an economist, I know there's this economic force that I think uh, Carlos has already brought you into the discussion in some ways by uttering the famous word capitalism so but is is it autonomous for you is it autonomous from an economist's standpoint
3: no i won't say that it is autonomous at any point in time mm-hmm. right since the day one of humanity and i think technology needs to be conceived visualized conceptualized etc in a manner that both roland and uh, carlos have mentioned in a much broader fashion, instead of thinking of either some machines, some tools, etc. In fact, I would say that, you see, if you look at either broadly the Hegelian ways of thinking about history or Marxist theories of history or you know, any other way, but these are the two very broad approaches right. that subsume almost any other Anything approach. else, yeah. Yeah. In that, uh, there is this whole idea of the quest for progress, human progress, Right. And uh, so anything which is outside human beings themselves, some raw materials, some resources from the nature, which they want to engage with, work upon, use, etc. for their progress, we can call all that technology. Right. So it's your science, your instruments, etc. And as Carlos very rightly mentioned, that... uh, for a very long time. For
0: you, uh, for you, the desire or the impetus towards progress comes first?
3: Or... You see, there's this notion of rationality and human beings are supposed to be imbued with that rationality. How exactly it plays out and folds will depend on too many things. Right. You know, for instance, depending on the nature of a constellation of forces within a particular society, at different points in time, the pace might quicken or slow down and so on. So there would be lots of factors there. But somewhere... This idea, which works through different social groups, their engagements, their contestations, all that would be critical in shaping and determining both of the content and the pace of right. progress.
0: But for you, there is a dialectical relationship between Absolutely. both human beings and technology. Absolutely. We're influencing totally. each other.
3: Yes, totally. So, you know, I, would, you know, I, I don't think uh, uh, any one of us would take this position that uh, technology in that sense is completely independent. It is always as a result of that dialectical kind of relationship. But the other uh, way to
0: put it is, is it completely dependent on us? I mean, I think one is just trying to place yeah, it in between yeah. those two positions. Yes, right?
3: so not really. It's not completely dependent again, because again, I mean, if we can think of, let's say, someone like um, Thomas Kuhn, right? He, he basically tells you that, uh, as, as Roland probably can uh, spell out with much greater clarity than than i can given the his scientific uh, ex- revolutions yes, and so on it yes, just go yes, from one framework to another yeah. so and then all that happens let's say through a series of accretions and then suddenly you have a paradigm shift right and that is something which was not planned not controlled at all yeah so so there is that uh, uh, let's say an autonomy of that process also yeah uh, which needs to be recognized you have someone like uh, ferabend for instance who, in fact, says that uh, there are massive disruptions and we don't even know that it, uh, it was coming. It was on the horizon, right? So, I mean, there are lots of things which we need to take into account. And hence, instead of thinking in terms of either complete independence or complete dependence uh, in that relationship between uh, the humans and uh, what we have agreed to call technology, is something that we need to be very, very careful about.
0: But Carlos, can technological change be caused at will? I mean can I mean is, is there a way in which one can say that, you know, there's change around the corner? I mean you may not know the precise time and so on, but is there a way in which one could anticipate that there shall be technological change? There are obviously laws of all kinds, no, if not technological change
2: yeah I was I was thinking because I, I introduced the, the discourse about capitalism, but if you see in the Soviet Union they had they share the same values, progress, lineal application of technology um, and modernity and machines. So it's not only a problem of capitalism, it's more a problem of modernity and this conception of history. Um, I think that's that's the, we share that in capitalism and, and and communism. they share the same values in, in this in this level.
0: Interesting, and uh, as as where does economics come into the way you think about things, Praveen?
3: See, this is where what was pointed out earlier. You know, this where the market. Yes, the transition to capitalism Mm. is something which then marks a very decisive break in terms of that relationship between human beings and technology. Basically, because this is the first system which is almost entirely driven by production of exchange value. Right. Earlier systems were largely driven by production for use value. Yeah. Exchange was always there, but then that was not the primary mover of how things will shape and change and so on. Now that makes it, you know, a dramatically different kind of conjuncture that we are talking about. And within that, you know, again, we can think of varieties of capitalism. And obviously
0: use value and exchange value are very different kinds of... Absolutely, uh,
3: absolutely.
0: So the, so the kinds of technology that would accelerate would also be very different.
3: No? Absolutely, totally. You know, about uh, some three months ago, I was at a conference in Berlin, where uh, someone who works on uh, textiles and history of textiles and works with some very well-known firms and so on. As you put it, now we have 52 fashion seasons every year. Earlier, we used to have maybe four or two or whatever. Right.
0: And there, are, there are thousands yeah. of micro-fashions, by the way. <laughs> so, so, so it yes. change from the morning to the exactly. evening. <laughs> so, so, so,
3: now, why is that happening? Yeah. Now, this is, you see, this has so much to do with this massive drive for accumulation. Uh, if you don't do it, you're out. You're finished. You're gone.
0: I think the intellectual difficulty I have with this mm. is that it seems like you can just keep accelerating and it would keep giving way. Is there a limit to this? Is there a limit to how many fashion cycles they can be? Is there a limit to how fast things can be? Obviously, there are. You run into natural laws and so on. But when is talking of economic forces? Yes, you know, but
3: so you know, as uh, you know, you in a sense corrected me. I I mentioned only fifty-two weeks, <laughs> but you actually said it's, it's much more than that. Right. Right. So in a sense, you see, the limit is not given. Right. And it may well be the case that the system, in very fundamental ways, gets into huge challenges and huge problems, precisely because it is doing that.
0: I mean, do we have to think of technology in evolutionary terms? Because, you know, nobody would say that evolution has stopped in 2018 or 2075. It has this self-generating nature. Um, So, I know know you mentioned Hegelian a while ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, but I
3: think think a a more appropriate way would be dialectical instead of saying evolutionary. Sure. Right? And... You know, evolution sometimes is interpreted in a simple fashion as if, you know, you're on some path of, let's say, progress or unidirectional or whatever, right? But uh, here you could actually even think in terms of multiple trajectories and, uh, you know, revisiting the old and so on and so forth. So there are lots of things which are, which become important.
2: Uh, I was giving us. some examples. Well, Darwin's published The Origin of a Species in 1859 and Karl Marx in Das Kapital, he talked about Darwin. He okay. said, we need a Darwin of machines in that sense. <laughs> we need someone to tell the story of the evolution of machines. I agree that um, technological evolution is different from um, biological evolution. Biological evolution, we know Darwin found these trees, bifurcations in the evolution of uh, organic species. And I think that technological evolution is a network. It's a network. It's a network, yes, because um, you can cross an elephant with a rhinoceros, for example, or a dog. But in technology, you may have hybridizations like that. You may change, you may um, combine the wheels from the bicycle with an explosion um, engine and uh, the horse car and you have a car. Mm-hmm. and you combine different elements and you create an airplane. And now we have cars and airplanes combining and drones also. So um, that's impossible in, 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 in the organic field. But in technology, we, we may have many of these combinations. Do you think
0: the degrees of freedom are potentially larger, even if the
2: modality of growth is similar? Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's incredible. In the field of technology, you see a smartphone... Inside the smartphone, we have digital cameras. We have play, um, PlayStation's or um, mobile PlayStation's. You, you have um, mu- uh, devices for uh, listening for music. So, it, in, in technology, you can combine everything.
0: There's Where, historical thought uh, on on this question because I think we're trying to grapple, Roland, with the the nature and manner, and we're just trying to systematize how technological
1: change happens. Right? Is there a way of as a historian, I would be very, very careful. I mean, as I, I always try to explain to my engineers, So most of my students are engineers and I say, look, there is causality in history but it doesn't work like in science. Right. It just does not like work like in science. So you can say, oh, we have evolutions and we can describe laws and you have like genetics. And I mean, triggers are different from laws. causes, right? So, yes. Yeah. So obviously, as historians, we have to find the forces of change, right? Like what are the driving forces of technology, for example, here, right? But you will say, you cannot do it like in science, you can have like counterfactual experiments, right? right. You can say, if this happens, that happens. Yeah. In society, it doesn't work like that. And economics, doesn't work like that. And this is the, the big problem of making predictions, right? Like, so we can explain the past, we can explain why things have happened. But next time, so you can say, okay, things happen the same, happen again, but never the same way twice. Right. Right? So we can say we have seen this before. For example, if you look at media technologies, right, something we might come back later, we can say this is not the first time we see changes in media technologies. And we can learn from the past, right? But only to a certain extent. That point about history rhyming, even if it doesn't repeat. Yeah. I mean, there is, I think there's two things I want to add here. Obviously, there is something what historians of technology or people from technology studies have uh, called path dependence. Mm. which basically means for certain technologies, and I could give you some simple examples, right? Like, for example, if you think about uh, energy systems. So we have very centralized energy systems. We have, like, uh, alternating current, for example. And there are some people who say, oh, we want to bring in some renewable new technologies. And you see we are on this path dependence of this kind of large systems, large what has been described as large technological systems, system technologies of energy uh, um, energy production and energy consumption, it's very difficult to get away from that, right? because you're living already with that system right There's a lock-in. There's a lock-in in that system. like the system gives you a certain pathways and obviously you can, uh, you can escape, you can do things differently, but since you have that kind of infrastructure already in place, very difficult to get away. But at the same time, technology is obviously very fundamentally social. It's both cultural and social. It doesn't exist without us, right? Yeah. So, if you go to the very definition of technology, since it's artificial, it's made by us. Once we are away, right, there is no technology anymore. Right. So, at the same time, obviously, there is... Uh, uh, I'm not uh, what you would call like, uh, uh, even though I would say yes, technology is socially constructed, I'm, I would never be a kind of strong uh, constructivist, right? There is a reality out there, there is uh, a structure in nature that technology has to follow as well, right, but yes uh, technology you, is, example, is, is, is 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 very fundamentally socially uh, shaped right
0: I think the 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 question is that what leads to i think you know some of these more progress like questions and gradual improvement or things of that sort are a little different from that question of what leads to these abrupt changes right now you worked on acoustics, for example, and yes. It you know it's it's been a field of sorts. It may have been yeah, called yeah. by different names for several centuries prior to the twentieth. But something happened in the twentieth century. Now, what leads to those dramatic changes? Where um, maybe 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 one can think of it in your context.
1: Uh, yes. Okay. We have already came up with the idea of Thomas Kuhn, <laughs> scientific revolutions, or you might want to talk about technological revolutions. Um, I mean, this has been criticized very much as well. Uh, What I still find kind of very interesting is uh, the concept of paradigms. Mm. I don't know whether I want to make a very strong concept of paradigms. Thomas Kuhn has also been criticized for using paradigms in many different kind of ways. But I would say, yes, we think in certain paradigms. Like you might say, if we think about, uh, for example, acoustic technologies, media technology, that there is a certain... Uh, information paradigm or digital paradigm or these kind of things. And uh, if I think about the history of acoustics, for example, acoustics for the longest time as an academic endeavor has been driven with what I would call a musical paradigm. So the only thing that acousticians really looked at were musical sounds. And it was really like thought together with a certain idea of music, and also what is very interesting for science, an idea of music and harmony, that actually went into. It's kind of very interesting if you think of what actually went from music to science. So a certain did idea that of happen? harmony. So, for example, even if you go to Johannes Kepler, he when he talks about the harmony of the uh, planetary orbits, yeah, he compares it to the harmony of music. Yeah. And in the European thought, so how did that long...
0: transition happen from from the more musical, aesthetic
1: kind of dimension to uh, the more engineering sort? Uh, yes, I mean there were some. Uh, obviously, the big game changer was the First World War. It really forced people, and obviously, when you have a war, it creates a certain sense of urgency, right? And especially the First World War, which was a huge human catastrophe and a huge challenge to these uh, warfaring nations in in Europe, right? I mean, everybody, when they started the First World War, people thought, oh, this is like, I don't know, the Franco-German War, 1870, 71, it's going to be over within a few months. And then it became very much an industrial war, right? Where science and technology became very, very important. And acoustic technologies became very central to warfare.
0: Do you think of wars as an economic event?
1: Yes, indeed.
3: You know, these are very, very important. Even during the era of, you know, what has been described as the Cold War. Right. Extremely important changes in technological regime came precisely because of the motivations of the Cold War. Yeah. Uh, Massive investments in R&D by the U.S. government. All that is very well known. You know, much of today's ICT, for instance has been shaped very, very strongly, dramatically by that.
0: So again, to to reduce it to economics and economic terms, that results from uh, overinvestment. It it drives capital expenditure, R&D and things of that sort. Yes, yes.
3: No, there are two sets of issues here. One is, you know, that logic of the Cold War itself and you have to keep ahead of your rivals, etc. It's a race. Yes. The second was uh, basically the military-industrial complex Becoming extremely important in maintaining the momentum of capitalism. So
0: it has a strategic. Yes. Uh, so that's a that, value. You know,
3: exactly. You know, that's a somewhat different sort of, uh, uh, let's say, impulse or motivation, if you like. Yeah. So just to give you one figure, if uh, we take out this military-industrial complex from the uh, U.S. and its role in generating em- employment. 1970s unemployment in the U.S. would have been substantially higher than what it was during the Great Depression.
0: Right.
3: So right. You can see the role of it, the power of it, you know, the uh, significance of it, so to say. So, in a sense, and this connects very well with what uh, Carlos and Roland have uh, been also talking about, you know, how do you connect it with the larger drivers of you know, technology, etc., by locating it in the system as a whole.
0: But so there social... must is, is there is there is that generation of some kind of surplus value. There must be, right? It's not sure, sure, sure. You see, capitalism, at least from one perspective,
3: is basically about surplus value. Yeah. Right. The others will say, all right, it is giving you higher growth and more rent and so on and so forth. But fundamentally, they are talking of the same thing. Right. Yeah. One portrays it as a very good thing. The other, of course, says that along with the good, there is so much terrible which is happening simultaneously. Right. (laughs) So, you know, that's how we need to understand it. Yeah,
2: most of the technologies we're using every day come from the 60s, 70s. We are talking about GPS, for example. It was developed for the missiles and virtual reality, video games, the first experiments came from the 60s. Graphic interface, um, well, many interaction devices, so they were initially developed for, for military purposes.
0: I think the thing seems to be that just the pure scientific impulse doesn't seem to be enough of a drive to to lead to this kind of large-scale adoption and so on, right? It, it it looks like somehow the sovereign state or somebody steps in, it's either just a requirement for capital, it, it mobilizes people, it's things of that sort. Because obviously, I mean, human curiosity, scientific spirit, all of that has always been there, No. know? But when one thinks of the initial scientific revolution, um, Roland, the the one 350 years ago, was that led by or triggered by some kind of a war? No, right? That was just just human
1: spirit and so on, something. Obviously. Okay, the first thing is uh, one of my favorite books uh, about the scientific revolution is written by Stephen Shapin and the book starts uh, There Was No Scientific Revolution and this is a book about it <laughs> which is very much the discourse where the discourse still is uh, especially if you look on a global scale whether you want, really want to describe this as a revolution. So, so the early modern times but, obvi- label. Yeah, but obviously things changed in the early modern times and especially in Europe. I would say there is a lot of very interesting developments and historians have made uh, uh, strong claims about that uh, one is especially if you look at northern europe is the advent of protestantism so it's actually very interesting it's a religious change right like which led to a lot of new shaping new uh, new shaping new thinking so robert merton for example wrote about uh, uh, Protestantism and uh, the rise of science in uh, in Great Britain, right? And there was certainly something there. Obviously, but if you go to Italy, to Spain, uh, you would have to look at uh, the voyages of discovery. So kind of Europe venturing out. Uh, There are several things. Obviously, there was uh, this kind of transition. Uh, Boris Hessen has uh, there's a Hessen thesis. Boris Hessen, uh, a Soviet scientist, who has written about uh, the uh, the social and economic foundations of the scientific revolution. So, what were kind of the economic changes again? Right, like you had this transition from feudalism uh, away, so you have kind of economic situations which were different. So, there was a lot of kind of things changing in Europe, which kind of created space for this kind of thinking about progress. It's like the in, the uh, industrial revolution, which came shortly after uh, what we call uh, the scientific revolution. And the industrial revolution is probably more, we have more rights to say that that was really a revolution, right. which was actually not science driven, but it was right. really driven by a new way of production, new way of economic thinking that, finally then uh, linked up scientific thinking with uh, uh, with technology, right? And uh, created a kind of ideology of basing uh, technology on scientific discoveries. Uh, we can go to, uh, in Britain, we can go to Francis Bacon, uh, for example, who's going to be yeah. very, that science uh, ought to be useful, right? Which was kind of a new way of thinking about science, right? That science ought to be useful. And, uh, That really created uh, a situation, right, where uh, science became much more important. Uh, We can talk about Galileo Galilei, for example, where you really have, I talked about earlier, um, technology being linked with art. So, mechanics was seen as art and not as science, but with somebody like Galileo Galilei, suddenly mechanics, there's a link between the perfect celestial mechanics and the and, the, and 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 the the you can say the mechanics of the court of the court engineer, like Galilei, who was working for the Medici, who was also kind of again, military wasn't important. he worked on ballistics, for example, right?
0: does where are you on this use question, Carlos? Do you think use proceeds uh, I mean where are you on pure science? On this just curiosity-driven progress of science, uh, do you think that itself can lead to technological
2: change? Has it? I mean, from a it's one dimension. I think when we talk about science and technology change, it's it's, it's like a top-down approach, you know, in the sense that scientists they develop new things and they are applied and they change technology and society. But um, let's see the other side. Uh, maybe the first one is the strategic side. This would be the tactic side. When people use this technology, redesign them. Um, this is you part mean of actually the. actually using artifacts. Yeah, hacking, so. changing the original users' uh, uses. For example, there's a big difference between what a designer or production company thinks and what people do with the different devices. And this is part of the dialectical process. And that's also another element in the evolution of technology. Is not. Um, Or a one-side evolution in the sense that we must pay a lot of attention about how people use the technology. So that's where the interfaces come in, don't they? The interfaces are the place where this conflict between the strategy of the creator and the tactics of the user, they confront in in this place that I call the interface.
0: So would, would all technological change be accompanied by some very visible changes in the interface and how one interacts?
2: Every technology propose an interface with the users.
0: Because there has to be some interaction
2: with it. Yeah, or or, or interface with other technologies also. We may have also this case. But in the case of real people, we have this uh, conflict sometimes. It's cooperation and conflict. This is more or less the same relationship we have with a text, with a novel, for example. The author wants to tell something. And people, the interpretation may be very different. Yeah. So we have this conflict, and this is one of the basics of the semiotics and oratological theories between what the author wanted to say and what people read and they interpret. I think the same model may be applied to technology. There's a gap between what the engineers, they're thinking about the technology and how people use that. And when discover that people is using the technology in a different way, they redesign the technology to adapt to them because they are the clients. So this so part of the is, electrical game in technology evolution. So
0: that is some kind of an error or an accident that leads to changes in the future.
2: There may be also accidents and breakdowns of the system. There are different situations.
0: And would you say that technological change or technological artifacts have an intrinsic tendency? Now I know the word tendency is a little problematic and all of you will correct me on that. But does it have te- a tendency to... Variegate? Does it have a tendency to create more variety over time? I mean, there, there are obviously things which converge. You know, things become more and more like each other, and there seem to be artifacts and objects and technologies which have this divergence kind of pattern where there are more. Well, and more we have
2: divergence. Yeah, we have different um, varieties of elements, and sometimes, well, we talk about this this path. No, for example, in in the in the energy, and in the, in the in 19th century was a steam. Then we have electricity. Now we have this digital energy. We can say it's changes everything. Um, but, yes, yeah, the tendency is to have a variety of things. Maybe they don't work, so uh, one of them survives. We can apply always the, the, the evolution is the metaphor here. But is the evolution, there a way of the, thinking
0: about this question, Praveen? Are other economic systems or kinds of objects and goods and commodities? Now, commodities will obviously be somewhat more convergent. But is there a way of saying... What has a tendency to proliferate and become more of? Where are more varieties found and where is lesser variety found? Is there a way of thinking about that from an economic standpoint? No,
3: variety with respect to what?
0: Variety with respect to just just how things look and what they are and the the range of... That is one of the
3: strongest selling points of capitalism. Right. So in that sense, you see, it has to sort of tell everyone that, look, this is something which is very novel so-called product differentiation in multiple ways is something which is central to the logic of it. So in that sense, you see, I think a great deal of what we are talking about, thinking about with respect to technology and uh, the rest of it uh, needs to be thought through in terms of, let's say, two broad systemic senses. Mm -hmm. One is capitalism and what it does, how does it interact and so on and so forth. What What are its basic impulses, basic logic and so on. And then you have the pre-capitalist systems, where again, we had uh, sometimes uh, very spectacular sort of developments and changes in technology.
0: But I think just, but, staying, just taking on this mm-hmm. point, Praveen, I think we discussed a little while ago about this reflexive or dialectical relationship yes. between human beings and technology. Now, surely I know you uttered the word rationality somewhere, and maybe we are rational sometimes, and maybe we are not. But surely, if there is just cosmetic changes to how things are and then not terribly fundamental difference, then it should be caught in the long run, right? I mean, users and human beings shouldn't really place that much value for cosmetic changes. But that.
3: I think
1: I would leave that to the historian <laughs> of science to enlighten us a little more on this. I'm, I'm not very sure about that. Yeah. <laughs> Without going, obviously this doesn't really fall in my, uh, my field of expertise, but I don't know. I mean, like if you see in the variety of fashion or automobile models or whatever, right? I think there is a certain uh, sales strategy, but I don't think there is only one. I think the problem is also to reduce it like to kind of one theory that explains everything, right? Yeah. Certain technologies might follow different kind of paths, right?
0: No, sure, sure, sure. But is the, does it change the nature of skills that human beings have?
3: I would imagine so, uh, because each technology is also working on the human beings, right? In in, in that sense. I mean, for instance, uh, our, our children, uh, you know, the generation of our children, you know, my daughter and uh, sure. that generation has a very different kind of, you know, relationship with technology than I have. Right. Yeah, and that has then also resulted in very significant changes. Um, A great deal of it, which, which probably we don't even comprehend fully. Right. So yes. So I think uh, the answer to your question is yes indeed. That's that is how I would look at so it. So
0: there's a de-skilling of a certain kind, but maybe also a skilling of a certain kind, you, yes. You, you, yes. You, indeed. You just, I mean
3: you know if you if you go by uh, Where there's
0: technology, there's skill, so you just develop different kinds no, of Simultaneously. Yeah. You
3: also if you if you go by Breverman's account, right. you know, Harry Breverman and his uh, you know, labor and monopoly capital, for instance where uh, his basic critique of this Fordist, Taylorist kind of technological regime is that it is a massive de-skilling kind of, you know, paradigm (laughs) or enterprise or whatever. But
0: is that because it marginalizes the role of human beings and human agency and the worker and more and more work is
3: done by... No, it reduces them into cogs in a very large machine, right? So on on, on this, you know, for instance... uh, Adam Smith had one way of thinking about it. He thought that division of labor is a fantastic thing and creates all kinds of possibilities. Although he himself in The Wealth of Nations also critiques it. Right. right? But, you know, his dominant thing was that division of labor and, you know, it it can be very enriching and so on and so forth. Yeah. On the other hand, there are others who tell you that, look, this actually is making us more and more stupid.
1: There are historical instances where uh, technology has been used to break the power of craftsmen, for example, right? In order to produce things on an industrial scale. I mean, a very good example going to something very different is like food technology and McDonald's, right? Okay. Where you really have workers, they don't have to be cooks anymore. Yeah. Right? They don't have to be cooks anymore and you can employ whoever, you can lay them off. Whenever you don't have unions, you don't have uh, guild associations and these kind of things.
0: And so workers are made like cogs. So workers are made machines in some shape.
1: And sometimes that is uh, purposefully done. But obviously we have, I would always say we as a society have the power to change technology, to shape technology. And each and every
0: person does. And And obviously
1: obviously technology can be used in Mm -hmm, this way mm -hmm. and has been used. And especially in capitalism has been used this way.
0: I stopped you, Praveen, but you were going to the pre-capitalistic... Uh, yeah, no, no,
1: uh, earlier
3: I was saying that, for instance, we have had very, very interesting, almost spectacular kind of achievements. If you look at uh, accounts by Joseph Needham, for instance. Right. Of uh, the, China and uh, Yeah, so on. China, the Arabic world and etc. And, you know, sort of very, very impressive achievements, but not in the service of trade and, uh, uh, p- you know, exchange value and so on and so forth.
0: But how, yeah. how, I mean, again, one doesn't need to be too judgmental about these things, but is, are these just romantic notions? Because the world is always changing, right? I mean, there is...
3: Yeah, the world is changing, but you know, world also sometimes changes in such massively systemic senses. And that is that is why I, I keep coming back to pre-capitalism versus capitalism. That
0: vast swaths of people could be left de-skilled, behind. Is, Indeed, is that depending big... on the kind
3: of capitalism that we are talking about. If it is, let's say, you know, what Oscar Lange used to say, spontaneous capitalism, Mm -hmm. you know, drawing on Marx's work, etc., where basically he's saying if you leave it to its own imminent tendencies, where you're not able to control it, right, where there is one particular class which becomes…
0: But that is less centralized, and then you don't get the full power of it, from from a capitalist perspective, No, no, no,
3: no, that, 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 uh, uh, what you are saying, less centralized, very soon becomes very centralized exactly <laughs> yes. so you know so i think uh, we necessarily need to get into those dimensions and issues and uh, uh, concerns to get a fuller picture yeah to how and in what sense a technology can be sort of fulfilling or disruptive or de-skilling and so on
2: right yeah I'd like to say something about the New Generations because I have just finished the coordination of an international project with eight countries, from Uh Australia to Finland, from Uruguay and Colombia to Portugal, Italy. And the main research question was, what are teenagers doing with media? The second research question was, where did they learn to do that? And the third point was, how we can exploit these skills that they develop outside the school, inside the school. And to reduce the gap between the real life of teenagers and the schools. Um, well, we discovered that a huge amount of skills uh, regarding media production, um, regarding media management, content management, creation of their own identity narrative skills. We don't believe in the mythology of the digital natives. These skills are distributed in a very, very different topography and we need to democratize that. But it's incredible to find young people doing many things and they learn to do that outside the school.
0: And these are, so they are self-taught?
2: These are, how do they learn it? How do they learn it? Well, in virtual communities, in YouTube. YouTube, I think, is the biggest school today. In, in, in all these countries, YouTube is the, is, is the first school. But not only for teenagers, also for adult people. When, we, when you need to do something at home or, or something in your car or a bicycle, you go to YouTube. We found teenagers, they don't use Google. They use YouTube as a search engine. Yeah. When they are looking for something, they go to YouTube.
0: It's a, it's a kind of visual and,
2: search. And then, for example, in video games, there are huge communities exchanging information, how to play. And what's fascinating of video games is that now we have teams, international teams of teenagers. And maybe one is in, in, in Spain, the other one is in Finland, and they are playing against the Russian guys. And they organize, they also use YouTube, WhatsApp to coordinate because they are playing this um, uh, war games online, and, and you have to coordinate with your partners to, to beat the, the other ones. And we found many girls, especially, producing fan fiction. Yeah? And they're telling stories. And we found teachers that they don't know that their students are producing fan fiction and writing stories. So we develop a kit so that professors can exploit <laughs> these skills developed inside the school. Inside the school. But it's very complex uh, um, situation and they're doing many things and the school sometimes close and they don't realize about what teenagers are doing
0: there seems to be something about these digital technologies which are which makes it somewhat more learnable w- would you agree I mean they somehow seem to be easier to learn
2: yeah th- th- they think that the big um, Change was in the 80s with the arrival of graphic interfaces. Before that, computers were only for specialists, for technicians. With alphanumeric interfaces, um, and because of the arrival of Macintosh and Windows, where we have the graphic interface, I think that was a big step into the democratization of digital technologies. And now with mobile phones, we continue in the same path of easy to, to interact, the interfaces. And if you see the social media that have survived are the ones that have very easy to use interfaces
0: so as you as you as you think of some of these situations Carlos what does not change because at, at least all your descriptions are of changes and new things and so on but is there is there something which is somewhat resilient is there something which does not change despite change in interfaces despite change in technology
2: i think that everything is changing but the different velocities maybe but for example, the interaction grammar, how do we interact with icons, has been more or less the same in the PC for the last 30, 40 years, more or less. Since the arrival of the Macintosh, the, the interaction with the computer, the personal computer hasn't changed. We have in the mobile devices, they have introduced new movements, but if you, the, the, the interaction with the PC is more or less the same. You have the click, double click, uh, drag and drop. This This basic grammar is still the same. Hmm?
0: Right. So it almost becomes like a language and one sense, a uniform code.
2: It's, kind yeah, it's, of a, language. it's a language. Language is changed, obviously, because now we have video games. Now we have um, mobile devices. So we may assist to exchanges in, in this, between the different grammars, as in, 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 in any language. Today we are talking about the the presence of Portuguese wars in India. Yeah. Well, the same may happen in the level of the language of the interfaces. Right. Uh, you may find something that was first applied in video games. You may tr- find that in a, in a video in in a mobile phone, for example.
0: Right, right, right. But is it fair to say that technological change is irreversible, or does does technological change have a way of going back? Is is whatever we might think of progress, does it have a way of going back? Is there retrograde progress? From a technological standpoint, this is not a social question or a political question.
3: No, you can also lose a great deal when uh, you sort of move ahead and forget. Yeah, I think uh, uh, Roland was talking about some of that uh, when we were having lunch. Yeah. So, and maybe you can elaborate on some of those. Yeah.
1: I mean, obviously we have lost, we have forgotten a lot. Uh, For example, if you would go into history, right, and take European history, or take whoever's history, right, and go back into archaeological findings, and you would say, we don't know how to do this anymore. There is this mechanism of antikteria, for example. I don't know whether you know this example from history of science, history of technology, they found in archaeological excavations of a ship, they found a mechanism and they didn't know that the Greeks had this. Right? It's a kind of gear mechanism. Gear mechanism. Gear mechanism, right? And things that from the kind of writing from the Greek times, nobody thought that, these, that the Greeks had this kind of technology. Right? And it obviously, it has been forgotten. So obviously, through historical change, things have been forgotten. Right, I think what is very important to think technology together with society. As I say, without society, technology does not exist. Right, and uh, which means, I which
0: think means social practices, which means yeah. habits, which means what's encouraged, yes. <clears throat> incentive structures, all of those things. And yeah.
1: there's there's Sorry. a there's an American uh, he doesn't live anymore, Melvin Kranzberg, uh, Mel Kranzberg, a historian of technology, who once said. Technology in itself is neither good, nor is it bad, nor is it neutral.
0: <laughs> so you really have to
1: understand that, right? To say, right. there has been a huge discussion uh, among historians... Are human
0: beings either good or bad or neutral?
1: So it's I, the I'm, interactions which probably... Yes, <laughs> so I'm, I'm discussing this with my students, right? Right. And uh, there, is this, uh, there, there has been discussions about whether technology has intrinsic politics, Right. Whether right. certain political opinions are kind of baked into technology. Or this is at more least certain about. Political
0: like, opinions are more compatible yeah. with certain technologies yes. and so on.
1: So there is this kind of, and this is obviously very close to technological determinism, right? Mm-hmm. That certain technologies are more linked to, I don't know, dictatorship or more to democracy or whatever. And then people who have argued against that, right? And I would also say, obviously, when new technologies come in, they change social relations. And we have talked about that before. Yeah. But they are not in itself technology. In itself, the intention lies with us. So.
0: Would you would you would you absolve technology uh, as as?
3: You know, I I, I I almost entirely am on the same page with the fellow panelists on this because uh, technology is not such a completely independent kind of, course, of entity we'll that it can that. yeah. And uh, in fact, uh, since uh, uh, Roland mentioned um, someone from his field, let me mention someone from my field. You know, sure. uh, uh, Rosenberg. Right. right. And he thinks of what happens in technology as a black box. Right. In itself, it's a black box. Right. It all depends on what the other actors are doing and how they are taking it you, forward. You, and so you and mean forth. the
0: inside of the machine? Inside, yeah, what the you other call side that, of the interface, as uh, somebody yeah, yeah, yeah. like Carlos you know, what, said. what
3: you would like to sort of separate as the domain of technology,
0: right? Yeah,
3: in a, in, a, in some narrow sense and so on. So, uh, how does it change? How does it evolve, etc., etc. If you want to look at it only through what is happening intrinsically and internally, then it's a black box. Yeah. So uh, the only way you can understand it and make sense of it is by looking at the other correlates and dimensions, etc., which influence it, which shape it, and so on and so forth. On uh, that question, the earlier question which you asked uh, uh, about uh, whether we can lose it, uh, and uh, in some ways, whether it's a regression simultaneously, in fact, in a deeper and broader sense, it could very well be that we can actually move away from a more humane arrangement to a much less... Sort I of. think
0: the, the 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 simple but complex way of putting it is that how do we know that we're making progress? Exactly. So just because yeah. technology is, yes. you know, things are yes. becoming more complex. I mean, no more laws and yeah. formulae. How do we know we are making progress? Yeah,
3: I mean that is that is a challenge. I mean that is a challenge. And can we sort of uh, pronounce a judgment on that without really looking at uh, multiple sort of variables and their outcomes, etc. I would say it would be very simplistic to pronounce a judgment just like that. that
0: would, yeah. you, would, would there would there be technologies that we should be anxious about? Now, whether or not there are you things know, which are positive, negative, yeah. neutral, but okay. you know, there are, there are combustible combinations, right? No, I mean, no, but are... then you see, this is
3: true of, again, you know, there are always many sides to it. Uh, Carlos was talking about how in many ways, the modern technology has been fantastic and very good and, you know, various dimensions and so on. Two days ago, uh, the boss of Apple, Tim Cook, right, uh, in one of his addresses, and which was reported in in the Indian media, where he, in fact, quotes uh, uh, Justice um, Brandeis, 1890, you know, when, in fact, in one of the judgments, he's talking about how... Uh, uh, sort of the rumour becomes not only the gossip, but actually becomes a trade which can then harm you. And now he's referring to how the modern technology is being used, or what comes with it is being used. To
0: amplify and propagate very
3: fast. All that and also, you know, it is sort of that that whole information, as as he says, sometimes intentionally, uh, sort of personal information, is being used against us. Right, so you're gaining, but then simultaneously, there is something which is extremely worrisome about it.
0: Now, uh, now, 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 the 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 counterforce against things of this nature do they have to be policies and ethics and things of that sort, or can technology itself take care of things? Now, technology
3: on itself, you know, in itself, can never take care of it. No, but I, I, co- I completely agree.
2: Now we need, um, <laughs> obviously, we need uh, the intervention. In, in, in the sense, Europe is moving very slow, but it's moving in this direction to, to, to try to stop, to limit the action of these big information companies and social media. And on the other side, I think, I believe a lot of media literacy. The, in, in schools, We it's good that our teenagers are learning outside the school, but in, 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 in the people who participate in this project, we agree with many other people that we don't have to let everything to inform our learning. We should introduce that inside the formal learning system, and that's media literacy. Uh, we we should teach our young people and adults how to use these devices and how they work. Mm-hmm. In, in the traditional media literacy, it was typical to show a student how a newspaper was to produce a newspaper. Because the best way to teach how does a newspaper work is to produce a newspaper. Now, maybe a blog in in, in the new situation. But I think we, we should work on that inside the school. It should be part of the curriculum of the schools. How to use new media, how to move in social media, uh, how to manage the identity, uh, privacy, for example. Hmm?
0: Yeah, but, you know, media is just a certain kind of technology, right? There are different kinds of technology. Yeah.
1: I mean, we have very good examples for technologies which are very threatening the very existence of humankind right like in the cold war we had nuclear technology right like and we were at the brink of a global nuclear nuclear hot war right like where we could actually extinguish uh, all humankind right that was really a very very probable scenario if you look at uh, the situation of the Cuban Missile Crisis for example right where this almost happened. So, obviously, nuclear technology is one of these technologies where you can say there is an immediate danger because it gives you so much power, but there's also so many dangers involved with nuclear technology. If you think about accidents, if you think about about waste, if you think about like the, the nuclear disasters of Chernobyl, Chernobyl and, and Fukushima, and and also, if you think about biotechnology, right? And you just have to go into the genres of uh, dystopic uh, uh, science fiction. You have I think the...
0: Uh, the question, Roland, is that is it inevitable that as technological change, let's call it progress, happens, is it inevitable that the intrinsic danger uh, in the system would, would increase?
1: No, I mean, obviously it's up to us humans to not, I mean, it's not something in in the bomb itself, whether it makes it explode or not explode, right? So it's obviously uh, our responsibility. I mean, with technology comes a very large uh, responsibility as well, right?
0: No, because once you know nuclear science, you know nuclear science. Once yes. you know how to make nuclear bomb, you know how to make nuclear bomb now. Maybe this gear technology of the ancient Greeks or whatever was forgotten. Now, if you fast forward like five thousand years, is there a chance that we'll somehow just forget how nuclear bombs are made? Because it has very crazy strategic value. Right. I think we've spoken about how wars have led to changes and things of that sort. So it has strategic value in a very at at many levels in the stack, and it's not like a somewhat innocent thing that has been thankfully forgotten or sortily really forgotten. I mean,
1: to a certain extent, we, have, we can say we have lived, okay, there was a lot of... Uh, then people would say, oh, look at the uh, nuclear weapons they have actually brought us so many peaceful years. Obviously, we know there have been all these uh, proxy wars, there have been a lot of wars in Asia, in Latin America. So that hasn't really been true, but we have to say... So far, we have actually managed to live without uh, without uh, going into, into a, a nuclear war, right? Like these nuclear weapons are still around with us. The sense of urgency is not that much there anymore, right? Like if you look at this topic movies uh, these days, like if you would go back to the 60s, 70s, 80s, a lot of them were about uh, global nuclear war, right? Uh, today, they're more about biotechnology. They're about uh, artificial intelligence, these kind of things. So it's not as much in our mind but obviously the nuclear weapons are still with us
0: so what exactly is the safeguard praveen i mean one one is to and you know this is not about nuclear bombs Mm -hmm. i think it's that's a very specific thing i mean is it is it is it just a good nature and the survival instinct in us as a human race or
3: no, I'm not very sure of that mm. because, uh, as uh, Roland was mentioning, we came could accidentally pretty trip a bomb to, and kill
0: ourselves.
2: Yeah. yeah,
3: we came pretty close to it. Uh, no, I think you see, one dimension which probably needs to be put on the front burner in this discussion with respect to this, is uh, to what extent it is amenable to easy control and regulation, yeah, or otherwise, yeah. Uh, You see, if there is the possibility of this being something pretty negative for the society, and it is something which can be used very easily by anyone, that obviously opens up a huge challenge. Uh, So there are, I think, issues of... uh, you know, the nature of technology, how amenable it is to control and so on. So, so in forth.
0: a way, these political structures, only one person being able to pull the bomb off, th- those are safeguards of another kind, right? I mean, you you just hope that somebody's sane yes, has the, floated to the top. Right,
3: but on the other hand, suppose, you know, it is something which can be easily stolen. You can easily figure it out right? Suppose we are talking of such destructive technologies and so on, right? In the past, for instance, sometimes we've used it for terrible purposes by using very simple things, you know, blankets infected with smallpox, right? Killing thousands of people. So we can sort of, um, you know, essentially what I'm drawing our attention to is this fact of the ease or difficulty in terms of the ability to sort of, you to know, even
0: configure this yes. this thing together yes and yes, there, yes. there is there is such a thing as complex technology it's probably not straightforward to make a nuclear bomb on your tabletop and that that so what's the future why don't we think about that for the last 5 minutes what's the future where is all of this headed i think we've touched upon some social cultural economic yes. forces
3: but the future to my mind is At the end of the day, the society must be in command of the technology, the economy, etc. Right? And uh, which is where uh, the challenges are huge.
0: So it's that embeddedness point that the the economy is within the society. Exactly.
3: Whether, you know, Karl Polanyi's famous expression and so on. So, uh, and by all accounts, but the last... I mean, I,
0: I, that 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 Sorry. sounds nice and so on is it is it I mean, is it possible? We have had it in the past. It's not the case that you know this is something
3: which is uh, just But uh, this some is a future question yeah. and things change yeah. so 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 things change, but things can change again. So the question is, how do we make things move in a different direction? Uh, it is a challenge. Nobody would uh, deny that. I mean, but but on the other hand, I mean, Uh, That is the only sane kind of uh, journey we can visualize, at least for all those who are engaging with these questions.
0: But somehow the assumption in this statement, Praveen, is that technology might have a tendency to go crazy, but society doesn't know that, you know, I I think...
3: No, I'm not implying that. Of course, you see, uh, certain kinds of uh, social conjunctures are and can be obviously very, very uh crazy uh, who knows uh, if uh sure uh in brazil brazilian election today we have an outcome which might be very close to disaster but then that is the choice of the society no right i mean who brought mr trump right so of course and and we can think of many other such examples without naming individuals and so on but clearly, you know uh, it's not the case that there is a sort of some water tight compartmentalization between what happens in the world of technology and the society out there. Of course not. So so we need to think of how the social sort of dimension aspect itself is something where we are talking of a set of concerns, values, visions, etc., which are centrally
2: embedded there.
0: What's the future, Carlos? Where are we headed? Where's
2: technology headed? I, I agree with this idea of increasing the number of social actors, and that's democracy, you know. Um, but regarding, as I work a lot in media evolution and, and digital technologies, I, I think many people ask me, "Well, what about the future of the book? What about <laughs> the future of television?" And my answer is always, "Well, I, I'm not a, a futurologist. I don't, I don't have the ball here. Um, this is a complex system. It doesn't mean that maybe a little change tomorrow may change everything." In 2005, if you look to the mobile ecosystem, everyone was watching to Finland, to Tampere. Nokia was at the center of the mobile system. One day, Steve Jobs arrives, took an iPhone from the pocket and changed the whole market. So now we have these big um, JFA companies. uh, They they seem to control everything, but I believe they they don't control too much. eh?
0: I think the question there, uh, Carlos, is that while the scale of impact is higher than ever, the duration of how? You know, we, you already touched upon this thing of very frequent changes and updates
2: and so on. But. The duration emerged from all this complex system. That's because it's important to have social actors. I think that consumers, we have a lot of power. We do, we do not realize of the power that we have as consumers. Think,
0: yeah, the question is that, uh, again, at the level of law, capital and law, to the extent that you can say it in that way, are the obsolescence cycles going to become shorter and shorter and shorter for all kinds of technology, but especially media technology?
2: That's part of the DNA of capitalism. What happened is, in for example, in the 80s and 90s, we have the centrality in the technological area was PC computers and so on. Now they move to the internet and mobile applications. I don't know if in digital field... Uh, the new thing is the 5G, the new thing is uh, the Internet of Things, but maybe all this activity and acceleration of obsolescence maybe moves to another area of the market and the industry. For example, genetics. I don't know. What, it's very difficult to imagine the same dynamics in digital field in genetics. Well, we have a new model of dog every week. Uh, that, 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 that's, that's the thing. I, I I think we have talked a lot about Fordism and the, 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 the traditional production. But we are entering a new area. Maybe we need another SimTalk <laughs> to continue this debate. So
0: what would replace... For, because in, in some senses, Fordism is already gone, yeah. right? I mean, that super large-scale production of the same thing. Yeah. Of course, many of those sub-technologies and principles are still at work. But, you know, there's some, so what, what is likely
2: to replace that? Here we have critical issues like the future of work, the, the future of the planet, yeah, and the future
0: of leisure and what you do with yeah, your spare time. Yeah, There's so a it, it,
2: it's a moment of acceleration, we talk about that change, and it's very difficult to see, to visualize the configuration of all this social technological network. Maybe in 5, 10 years, 15 years, completely different than we think today. If you re- re-read the, uh, how people in the early 90s imagine the future, they say, oh, they would be in virtual reality. And we are not in virtual reality. We are in augmented reality. We have an augmented reality device in the pocket right now to play Pokemon Go or maybe it's a GPS. That's augmented reality. And nobody talked about that 25 years ago. So how will be our society in 25 years from a technological point of view? It's very difficult to say that.
0: Surely it is difficult. Is there a way of, uh, like of of all the range of options that are present today, um, is there a way of saying what has a higher chance of being adopted?
2: That's more a personal choice, I guess. Mm. So, but, uh, so,
0: your point is that it is radically indeterminate. Even the entrepreneurs, the inventors, the
2: designers—it's a complex Beyond system. the point,
0: everybody is experimenting,
2: yes. and 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 it's a complex system. We have thousands, and thousands of actors, from Google to the single user and the future is will come from the interaction of all these different and actors. the future
0: is indeterminate
2: yeah yeah. it I, I, is indeterminate yeah i think i think that will it, emerge it's not, it's from these just, interactions it's not just
0: very complex to comprehend it is
1: indeterminate hmm. what's the future yeah. okay i'm a historian obviously yeah. historians have always been very very careful to determine the future but if you look at humans as beings i mean how do we make choices we have experience and we try to build on this experience and we take our future actions based on this experience
0: and we want to have more and more of the positive experiences
1: uh, yes sure but i mean we should be able and history actually believes that you can learn from the past so rather than predicting the future obviously there's some very varying what we're having right now, right? I mean, there are some positive examples. I will just give you some positive examples from, I mean, ecological thinking. At some point in the 60s and 70s, we learned that uh, certain actions we are taking are not good for the environment, right? Sure. And there have been some positive movements. Uh, I mean, for example, you had acid rain in Europe. You had forests dying, right? And everybody was saying our forest is going to be killed. So power plants have been equipped with filters. It's a technological solution. Nobody's talking about dying forests anymore. If you think about the ozone hole, right? Like we have detected the problem. The problem, one of the problems we're having right now is that we have, I would say, a return because this is not the first time we're having this of irrational politics. And irrational politics doesn't square very well with responsible use of technology. Right. I can just say that. And we could go back to and that's I don't know, fascist Europe, the Second World War. I would say a lot of it was driven on a very purposeful. It was like the triumph of the will, right? Right. You can do everything, right? right? That was very much of that kind of thinking, and it brought us to a disaster with millions of dead people, right? So we have to be aware of that. And is it was that very likely much to happen again. Because, but but here the villain is human beings. The villain is always human beings, right? The villain is always human beings. So obviously, it's up to us, right? And we can learn from history to see that as well, right? Uh, there are examples of how you can deal responsible with technology, right? I'm also, I'm very skeptical about, and you can say something about that, uh, that about this homo economicus, right? Like we're always driven to maximize our profit. I I would, tell you, I would you. not... <laughs> I would not sit in a university. I would not teach in a university if I would like to maximize my personal <laughs> profit. I don't think that maximizing our peripheral economic uh, profit is the even the main driver of human existence. Right and we have to come back to that so to long as there's somebody
0: that. above you who's extracting your surplus it <laughs> works for that person in fact this precise uh, no, intent I, I think, of yours is working for someone somebody look, else
1: <laughs> economy is part uh, there there's this kind of idea of some kind of uh some kind of mystical role of economy right that yeah. there is something called economy outside of our societies economies have always been tightly controlled like yeah. money is a human invention yeah Right? So we have to understand that and we somehow have to, as a society, come back and gain control over that. Yeah. Rather than saying economy uh, is we can't created do anything. By technology. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like if you think about the idea of sustainability, obviously this comes back to the idea of sustainability. So what's the future? The future is obviously like hundred to 100 years out. Obviously, what, what I'm not comes gonna to make why? then I would be in the business of writing science fiction, right? <laughs> So if if you think about futures, obviously we think about futures in terms of sustainable futures, right? Where you would say it should be an environmental, it should be an social, and it should be an economic sustainability. I think there has been too much focus on within the economy to say, sorry, we can't be environmentally responsible because economically this is not sustainable. I think we really have to... We think this also, if you go back into the discourse, right? Like if you go back into the discourse, even in the 60s and 70s, if you go back to uh, to like the limits to growth, for example, which was a scientific study, right? Like this kind of predominance of the economy hasn't really been there yeah. that much, it's right? Straightforward.
0: So I think, you can't keep growing at 7% or whatever, yes. even so, any percent, forever.
1: So I think we really have to rethink this. I mean, we have to be aware that we are making our future, right? So obviously,
0: Praveen, obviously there's degrowth ahead, right? In the next 500 years, because obviously there's no such thing as growth forever. Or does one have an sure. evolutionary hat on and say that?
3: No, no, no. I think at some point, you know, and sooner than later, I think uh, this has to be taken very seriously. That what can be that sustainable growth or... Uh, uh, even maybe degrowth, because if it is indeed the case that even, let's say, 0.001% growth rate comes at the cost of your basis itself, so yeah, yep. then, uh, of course. Uh, so, yes, all these need to be taken much more seriously. Unfortunately, we are not taking these seriously.
0: And when you think of this question, and we'll end with that, do you think of technology alongside
3: Technology is very much part of it, but then technology, along with that, you have to think of questions of power, you have to think of questions of democracy, you have to think of, you know, a whole lot of things which constitute us in very fundamental ways. So, But technology that, is a lever with Sure, which, sure, no, technology yeah. is very, very embedded into all this, technology gets impacted by all this and so on. So in India, for instance, we have the technology which can send people to the moon or wherever, but you can't get your uh, drains uh, sort of cleaned by using very simple technology. Now that's a very, very, sort of, you know, dramatically, uh, sort of disturbing thing about technology and use of technology in our own society. You have people dying almost every day, cleaning those drains, yeah, manually and so on and so forth. So, uh, and, and you can think of hundreds of such examples, yeah around the world and how it gets impacted so powerfully by the the world is
0: the, messy Praveen. i think all of us yes, know it and yes indeed
3: so in in, in that sense coming to <laughs> coming to your question how do you think of the future you see we can obviously be hopeful but what happens 50 years down the road to my mind is pretty uncertain because yes human beings can be heroes and villains and villains and heroes but you have to think of them as particular you know embedded in particular interests and groups and you can't sort of think of human beings in some neutral sense sure and so structures of power and architecture of society social economic arrangements linking with all that i am somewhat um, uh, optimistic uh, i no 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 unfortunately no <laughs> what i'm saying is that i too am somewhat worried like roland <laughs> you know he sort of
0: emphasize one particular factor so carlos it looks like only you and (laughs) you and i are optimistic on
2: this well uh, sometimes people say you're too optimistic about digital technology especially but i think every time we have a new technology we have the, both discourses against yeah. Yeah. in the in, in the 90s digital technology was the solution for democracy and education yeah, yeah. and so on and now yeah. digital technology seems to be rest- evil and it's all a problem for democracy for education so in, in, in France they are banning mobile phones in the school so we have gone from one position to the other one we have to be dialectical we should go beyond that be critical but it's the only solution because it's, it's Technology will not save us. Technology will be not our evil. uh, We we have to move in between these two poles.
0: Perfect. I think that's a good note to end this on. Thanks to all of you for making it, and we look forward to having you soon again. Thank you.
2: Thank you.